If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. We are wrapping up tonight a series called Labels, and uh, we've talked about all kinds of things that we put labels on, namely people. And people have uh, had a history of putting labels on others, haven't we? We have talked about everybody except for this guy tonight, Thomas. What was Thomas labeled as? A doubt. Everybody knows doubting Thomas. And we all, in some way, shape, or form, have looked down on doubting Thomas. You just don't have faith. What's wrong with that guy? Why is he so doubtful about everything? The reality of the situation is, and I think as we open this passage up tonight, we're going to see that every one of us, especially believers, have a propensity to doubt, especially in our faith. I know that I do. And by a show of hands, I want everybody to put their hands up right now so I don't feel stupid. Okay. Well, you guys are doing great. Thanks. Thanks, Randy. Years ago, there were two friends that were walking in the middle of nowhere. They had just driven there, and they were having a conversation. And one friend looks at the other and says, I have just purchased all of this land. And what I ask of you is to listen to my dream, because I have a dream of people coming from all over to this place right here. And when they get here, they're going to need some place to stay. They're going to need places to eat. And what I want you to do is purchase all the adjacent property around because I know if we do this, I don't have any more money left, but if we do this, we're going to be wealthy and it's going to be a huge success. Art Art Linkletter looked at Walt Disney and said, you're nuts. And to this day, would regret that decision. Walt Disney was showing Art Linkletter Disneyland, the future spot in the middle of nowhere, which is now a huge development. In Thomas's life, he gets to where he meets Jesus and then spends three years with him. In and out, this is a faithful believer. He's a guy who's gone to church, if you will. He's trusted and walked in his master's footsteps, but he gets discouraged. So in honor of the reading of God's word, I just want to invite you to stand as we read verses 19. We're going to start in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. You can be seated. Tom 
was a missing disciple. One of two. There were 12 disciples. There's no Judas. And everybody knew where he was. He had hanged himself because he betrayed Jesus. Jesus had given his life for us. But where's Thomas? Was Thomas part of Judas? Was he in cahoots with Judas? Did he have something to do? Where was Thomas? Have you ever been... We all go to church, right? And I, if I've heard one story, I've heard a thousand stories about why people don't go to church. And it's generally revolved around hypocrites. And I feel judged. And when I go, and I remember in 1999 when I sat in the back of Cottage Hill Baptist Church. Feeling like I didn't belong. Like there was something wrong with me. I just got to sit here. I can't say anything. To, I don't have anything to talk about. I don't know any good stuff. A fish out of water. When we go to church and we feel that way, we tend to leave. We don't stay around. If we have doubts about why we even got there in the first place, I followed this Jesus. I knew everything he was going to say. I did not think it was going to end this way, even though I know that he told me it was going to. Maybe I just got to get a cold drink of water. We don't know exactly, but I believe that we do know that there was doubt in his heart. There was frustration and discouragement in his life. And there were reasons that he wasn't there. James chapter 1, 5 and 6 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. This was the very first Easter service, and Thomas missed it. Maybe there was difficulty in the church of his little 12. He saw one betray his master, he saw his master give his life, and he was discouraged, not necessarily asking God for wisdom at this point. Doubt can be a dangerous thing. We have a strange case where two disciples are missing, but why is Thomas? I would say the first reason that he's not there is because of doubt. Let's look at the cause of his absence. In verse 25, the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Why was Thomas not there? He didn't even believe when they came and got him. And told him, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. I want to say this. We ought to be not as hard on Thomas as maybe we are on ourselves. Because even though Thomas did doubt, there are a lot of wonderful things that he did do. For example, in John 11, verse 16 
Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let's also go that we might die with him. Thomas said, I would give my life up for Jesus. He followed him to every every synagogue. He followed him and saw him heal. He witnessed what Jesus was doing and he supported everything he did. And he didn't have a story of running away like Peter did even. Can a committed Christian somehow have doubts based on what Thomas did, and I would say absolutely, 100%, unequivocally, yes. To say you are a Christian and never doubted is to like saying you're married for 20 years and you've never had an argument. If someone told me they've been married for 20 years and never had an argument, I would question whether they were actually married. It means something's wrong inside for you to come, for you to feel uncomfortable about what's going on and doubt. I would say this, doubt is to faith like discomfort is to the body. Years ago, I had my appendix removed, but I had no clue what was happening to me. I didn't know I had an appendix until I had this pain right here. And I'm wandering around going, what is this pain? I finally wind up at the doctor, and they did an emergency appendectomy. If I had not known, I I had no clue outside the pain, the sensitivity that was screaming at my body saying, there's something wrong with you that you have a problem. And I could have died. It didn't matter whether I knew whether I had an appendix or not. Doubt fires our faith up. Doubt does the same thing to our faith. Adrian Rogers said this, what we need to do is doubt our doubts and believe our beliefs. And what I've found in my life is that the more that I face my doubts and ask myself the difficult questions and research what those answers are through here, it confirms my faith. In the end, the doubts wane And the the solid relationship of my faith builds. The more faith I have, the more I research. The more questions I ask Jesus, the more faith I get. Good people sometimes doubt. Think about John the Baptist. He's preaching with confidence. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he sees Jesus coming and he says what? Behold the lamb of the world. Right? Right? Who's going to take away your sin? Behold the Lamb. He knew right away, but then he's imprisoned. And what does he say? He sends his disciples to ask Jesus, is this real? Are you really the one who who we've been waiting for? Or do we need to go look for someone else? Jesus didn't look down on him. He didn't act like he was asking a ridiculous question even. He wasn't condescending. He was sympathetic, and he said, no, you can have confidence. He reassured him, Jesus will do that for you and I today. He helps those who have honest doubts because he wants us to have sure faith, and I don't think that doubt is necessarily a bad thing, but there are some reasons that good Christians have doubt, and they're not always good reasons. Here's one of them, discouragement. Discouragement is huge. Why did Thomas and John doubt? I'll give you Thomas's situation. 
in John 20, verse 9, he says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They didn't know what he was saying when he was saying it. Jesus would tell them, I am going to tear this house down in three days. I'm going to raise it up again. They did not know what he was saying. Not until he showed them three days later after he gave his life for them. Jesus had told him repeatedly. How many times has Jesus told you something repeatedly and then three or four years later it hits like a light bulb? No show of hands. They didn't understand Scripture, and sometimes we don't, and it takes time, and that's okay. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came out and stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. Discouragement often comes from fear. The Bible speaks of fear. The doors being locked where they were in fear of the Jews. They just saw Jesus crucified. Well, we're next. And I'm sure Jesus gave them a heads up. There was tension. Situation making it easy for a doubter to follow that doubt. John the Baptist, rugged and unafraid. You heard what he did. What about us? You're talking about this big, great God who can do anything. Why is it that right when I give my life to him, life gets harder, not easier? It seems that way. I've baptized people, and then they disappear because it's too difficult. Whatever the faith thing that happens, happens. It happens. And it happens to all of us. He wants to make sure that we're sure about following him and that we don't need a good situation to make that happen. Peter was constantly shoveled out of his comfort zone. He was told, go to the Gentiles, and by the way, you're going to eat with them. And he felt guilty. Why am I here in this, in this pagan situation, and they're telling me, eat pork? Well, it's not offered to idols. You're doing things on their terms because they don't know better in my glory, and they became you and I eat bacon and glorify Jesus today because of Peter and the difficulty he went through. Amen? I think that's pretty good stuff. This is one reason Fall Fest was such a difficult decision to make. Is it worth having 500 people come through here who don't know Jesus? You don't know who knows Jesus. I do know that I went to the fort yesterday and had a blast with people got to meet new people. And we handed out a hundred Bibles and we played games. They were New Testaments. We had gospel conversations and nobody died. And hopefully seeds were planted for the kingdom of God. We sang a song a little bit ago that says when God changes you, he changes what we see and what we seek. Right? If my eyes are not changing what they see, I will continue to doubt the same doubts and judge the same judgments and think the same things. But if I see what he sees, I can get out of my own comfort zone. And he'll give me strength to do things that I didn't think I could do and believe things that I didn't think I should believe because he changes hearts and minds. So I don't have to go to someone and say, 
well, you're a practicing homosexual, and in order to go to church, you have to stop. That's not how that works. The Holy Spirit of the living God changed me after he met me where I was. And there's not a person in this room, and there's not a person on this planet that is not a sinner who, in need of saving grace. Thomas, I believe, knew that, but he struggled internally. He's looking at his disciples saying, what about him and what about him? And I just need some space. None of this makes sense. Who made sense of it all? Jesus Christ steps back in, and the disciples in fear in the first Easter service had peace breathed on them. Jesus made all things new just like that. And if Thomas was there, his discouragement would have been gone just like theirs. Discouragement breeds doubt. There's another thing. Disobedience breeds doubt. I don't want to change this. If God wants me to change that, well, I can give up anything but that. Sin is a barricade between you and the blessings. We can say, I want to follow Jesus. It's one thing to say that. And it's, I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to check the boxes, and I'm going to do the things, and we can follow into the legalistic, pharisaical way and still not know Jesus. He says, you prophesied in my name, but get away, I never knew you. Disobedience is a matter of meeting him in your room when nobody else is looking and praying intently about what you're concerned about and letting him expose you for who he sees because when he sees me he doesn't see who I saw myself to be he saw that I could do what I didn't think I could do he saw that I could go where I didn't think I could go he gave me visions that I didn't think made sense the day before he he will meet you behind closed doors and clarify himself to you through his word and through other people. And when we come to church, there's a unity in the love that we've all met him before we got here and we're hungry for him. And that's why we're here. Because I, I'm here not because you need me. I'm here because I need you. And I have a, a function in the body to, to, to serve just like Jesus did, washing feet. Sin leads to more. So disobedience leads to doubt, leads to more frustration and discouragement, leads to more sin, leads to more doubt, leads to discouragement. There's no human remedy. You can't behave yourself out of a disobedient situation. So if you know that you know, James says, if you know what you're supposed to do, and you don't do it to him, it is sin. When you get, here's what you need to be concerned about and encouraged about. That when you go behind closed doors and it's just you and God, beware that you are exposed and that he loves you. And that when you get up, there's an assignment to fulfill. That he's going to ask you to do something that's a little bit maybe out of your comfort zone or different. And it's going to be specific. It's going to involve conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
and it's going to end up in unity, and it's going to end up in him being glorified and doing things you could never imagine. Just this afternoon, I was at a deacon's meeting. I was tired after our thing yesterday and the day before. We've just been going, 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 and Ashley and I were frustrated even last night. And I had more work to do. I got up this morning, and we had uh, church this morning here in life group, and then we for whatever reason, I'm coming out of this deacon's meeting and I'm discouraged out of my mind going, what is wrong with me? And one of our deacons had met a guy in the parking lot and says he wants to talk to a pastor. I said, go park by that Jeep over there. I went and talked to him and led him to Christ. Here's the last thing. Demonic activity is real. It's not a suggestion. There are powers and principalities that we cannot see that are going to try and derail you so that he can't come to know Jesus. But when we trudge through, because he is faithful and he is good, and we realize it's not about us, and we can be uncomfortable, we reap rewards. And we see his activity. And I've gotten into the habit of seeing that where there is an attack on the church, that where there's an attack on people, that when people get frustrated and discouraged, and there's a disillusionment that came from that factor. From the enemy himself, who doesn't want heaven to break loose, they want hell to continue to break loose. It's our responsibility to know that Jesus is alive today. And he wants heaven to break loose. And heaven breaks loose from his people. Because we are the ones who are filled with his spirit. We should never allow demonic activity to derail us. So if John the Baptist had understood that Jesus never promised to keep him out of prison... Because sometimes we just think this cannot be God's will. And if Thomas had understood that everything that took place during the crucifixion was a fulfillment of prophecy and solely God's will, then maybe he wouldn't have been discouraged. Maybe if he was listening in verse 9, he would have expected it, right? Well, maybe if you and I can release some expectations that we have on him, Maybe accept some trials that we, don't, that we aren't comfortable with. Surrender to some things that we don't, that are frankly out of our comfort zone. Maybe we won't be discouraged either. None of us are too good to go through tough times. As a matter of fact, he wants us. He will, all things work together for the good of those that love him, Right? Not all good things happen to those that love him. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. David was saying, I have nothing to be discouraged about because you are my God, you are my king, you have slayed the bear, you have slayed the lion, and I surrender to you, and if I go now, I am in your presence. So at worst, even so, Lord, come now. That's where we can be comfortable in a day-to-day walking around knowing this is a temporary world in which we live. 
In this world, Jesus told his disciples, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. So you see, doubt and discouragement go together. And I believe God can turn every Calvary into an Easter and every tear into a triumph. Christianity is not the subtraction of problems from life. It is the addition of power to meet those problems. And if we meet him, if we meet Jesus where he is, he will be real to us and life will be practical. I want to move on to the second point. There was a cost of his absence. Have you ever heard someone say, you don't have to be a good Christian to go to church? It, it sounds good, but it's not true. <laughs> Disobedience to the scripture is not fellowshipping and gathering with the believers. So what happened to Thomas? It cost him a few things. Number one, it cost him his influence. There were two that weren't there. They knew about Judas. The whole town knew about Judas. Judas had betrayed Jesus for money. I bet wonder if they were wondering, where, where's Thomas? I mean, 20% of us are not here right now. And Judas is in hell. When you miss coming to church, we cast the vote with another crowd. I'm not saying we have a big ministry um, of homebound. And there are people that just cannot go, which is one reason we will record this service. We will live stream at Cottage Hill. So you can still be ministered to and go and feed and take care of. I'm talking about we have replaced in our culture activities over God. Largely, I have picked other things instead of church. And I remember being in Jacksonville, like James was saying, on a surfboard, praying on a Sunday, not in church, thinking I'm okay, but there was a conviction that I needed to be. We need each other. God knows that, so he gives us a command. I heard a little Confederate granny in the Civil War grabbed a pick when she saw the, the Yankees were coming, and she grabs this fire pick, and she runs out in the yard and starts heading, and her kids are yelling at her, where are you going? What do you think you're doing? She said, <laughs> you're not going to hurt anybody with that fire pick. She said, well, I can sure tell them what team I'm on. <laughs> If we had that kind of passion that they would know what team we're on, I have to sacrifice this so I can be there. We're not really sacrificing anything. We're really missing out on what Thomas missed out on, an incredible blessing because he wasn't where God was working. It cost the church. Not only did his influence suffer, but the church suffered. We need each other. We need the God's house. We need the Lord's day. We need to honor him, just like we do in our prayer closets. It cost his faith. He was bad enough already. His faith had waned already. He was struggling already. 
I can't go to church right now because I'm just going through a tough time. That is the exact time when we go to be encouraged, when I feel alone, when I am discouraged, when I need. God will pour into you what you need because he knows you need it. Trust him. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. The Lord is with us here right now. That is worthy of an amen and a praise, Jesus. It cost him his joy. The Bible says in verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Jesus was showing. Then the disciples were what? Glad when they saw the Lord. He didn't get to experience that gladness right then. I hate to miss church and I'm afraid I'd miss something. That's to where I got to be. And the hungrier you get, when you miss your quiet time, you feel it, right? And the more you get into it, the more you need it. And the more you get into it, the more you need it. It doesn't take long to fall out of shape at the gym. It doesn't long to take long to fall out of shape with your relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I don't talk to Ashley and we become roommates, we can talk. But it's, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? That's not a relationship. Lord, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? Can you do that? And I'm not really listening to what you said that you were going to die about, you know, a few weeks ago when you said all. I didn't really know what you were saying. Doubt and discouragement can ruin a relationship. And they make us, that can derail us. And that's the enemy wanting that to happen. Finally, there was a cure. This was the very first outreach program that any church has ever seen. They left the meeting, find Thomas, and say, you've got to come. This is what we just experienced. At church, it was incredible. This was our testimony. First, the testimony was in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them. So the other disciples said, we've seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see it. They went to him. He didn't go to them. They didn't say, by the way, oh, Thomas, you should have been there. You should have heard this great message. Oh, Thomas, you should have been there. Mary Magdalene was wearing this super sweet dress. Oh, Thomas, you should have been there. You picked the right day to miss, rather, because the Methodists beat us to the restaurant. The pastor didn't talk as much this week. That's usually what people say, isn't it? You should have been there because it went well this time. You should have been there because it... No, you should have been there because we experienced the power of our holy God. That's an incredible thing. Why do we come? Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Where was Thomas the next service? Right where he should have been. Back with his group. The group went and got him and he went back. The testimony of the facts say, eight days later in verse 26, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them, and although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Thomas, put your finger here. Now he gets the experience. We don't have the ability or opportunity to see the physical body like Thomas did, but that doesn't mean we don't have the story. We don't have the facts. And the more facts you look up, the more you're going to confirm your faith. There is more proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead 
than Julius Caesar lived. There is more evidence for the existence of Christ and the fact he died for you and me than the fact that Julius Caesar was a person. That's powerful. Then there's the testimony of Scripture. In verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who haven't seen and believed. Jesus said something, I have something better than your eyes that can give you free reinforcement of your faith. Verse 30 and 31 say, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you something better than signs and wonders. I'm going to give you me. He pours his spirit out through the Holy Spirit on all of his disciples, Thomas included, and you and I have that same power today. God has given us this book right here to prove the supernatural resurrection of Jesus Christ. We experience Easter every year. We'll go to the fort, we'll do it here, not so that we can dress up nice, so that we can recall and be thankful of what our God did for us, meeting us in human form to save us from our sins. What about us? What about us that struggle with doubt? Peter walked on the water, and I'm going to wrap up with this. When Peter got out, he was fired up happy, looking straight at Jesus. But what made him sink? He took his eyes off Jesus. When he took his eyes off Jesus, he went down. When we take our eyes off Jesus, we allow the enemy to do what the enemy wants to do. He wants to derail you. He wants to neutralize you and me. I'm going to ask the band to come. I'm going to invite you guys to stand. I want you to, we're going to worship a little bit, but I want you to ask yourself, do you have doubts? Is there a way to protect yourself against doubt? How can I protect myself? As you pray, as you worship, maybe consider what your doubt might be and just focus on Jesus and give that to him. A strong faith comes from Jesus reinforcing himself after he has come to you, given you an invitation, but stand I hold, I behold, I stand at the door and knock. You've opened up the door. If you've passed, open up the door, and he's come in and had fellowship with you, you remember that. You go back to that. You have fellowship with him again, and you say, Lord, is there any sin in the way that's giving me discouragement? Is there any doubt that I have I'm frustrated about a lot of things right now and I need to follow through in obedience in this area. Maybe you, maybe it's relational. Maybe it's financial. I don't know. If you need prayer for anything, I'm going to be down front. I have a list of reasons to not doubt. And here it is. Jesus. There's your list. If you want to know how to follow him in faith, I'm right there. Randy's right there. 
Kevin's right there. We have people that will just pray for you. And just worship. If you want to know more, we'll help you. Let's, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll worship. Lord, our one reason for being here is Jesus. Our one reason for still being here is Jesus. The reason that you haven't called us to heaven yet means we either don't know you or others that you want us to reach don't know you. We want to fulfill your purpose in our generation, so I pray that you would empower us and remove the doubts that we may, that we may have, that there's discouragement in our lives or disobedience or anything like that that we have any control over, Lord. I pray that you would reveal it to us, that we might, that we might be changed, that we might see and seek you on your terms and not ours. Bless this time as we worship you in Jesus' name.